The off-season is the best season. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first ever installment of the Institute of Drafting podcast, a weekly show dedicated to analyzing top college prospects, as well as tracking rookies in the NFL as we watch how they develop throughout the season. My name is Miles Bloomquist, and I am your draft professor for the next hour. Today, we will discuss rookies' impacts on Super Bowl 54 and other great rookie performances in Super Bowl history. We will also talk about the NFL Rookie of the Year awards and finish off the episode with some basic draft info everyone needs to know going into the offseason. And without further ado, let's begin today's lesson. So to start off, we're going to just dive into some rookie performances from last night's Super Bowl. And first of all, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs on their first Super Bowl victory in five decades. Holy crap. Andy Reid deserves it. Uh, Patrick Mahomes won Super Bowl MVP. Uh, it, was a, it was a really good Super Bowl. I enjoyed it. But we're here to talk rookies. And uh, the 49ers, who came off a 4-12 and season last year, had a lot of rookies to talk about. Mainly Nick Bosa, who was the number two overall pick in the draft. And it's very rare to see a team flip from 4-12 and to 13-3 and and nonetheless make the Super Bowl. So the 49ers had a lot of top draft picks. And they've, actually, they've had a lot of top draft picks for the past couple of years. You think of DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas... Uh, Eric Armstead, even back to 2016. So they are stacked on young town, especially on that D-line. Uh, but let's talk about some rookies and their performances in the Super Bowl, starting with Nick Bosa. Uh, he had a sack and a forced fumble. Uh, he was really a driving force on that D-line. Uh, you can see it all night long. He was in Mahomes' face. Um, I thought that D-line perf- – like, I know that the 49ers D-line is amazing, and they've been – like this anchor for the 49ers defense all season long, a great reason why they've been so great. Um, but I didn't expect him to come out this hot in a Super Bowl. It's always a different atmosphere, and especially for rookies. But to see Nick Bosa perform like that on a huge stage in his very first season, it was amazing. Um, this kid's got really special things coming for him, especially in the next couple of years. Uh, and we'll talk about him more after, but he was a big playmaker in the Super Bowl. Uh, let's move over to the offensive side for Kansas, or not for Kansas City, for the 49ers. And talk about Debo Samuel, who is a wide receiver, but really made his mark on this game on the ground through through the running game. Uh, he had three rushes for 53 yards on these jet sweep, end around kind of plays. Uh, they were big plays, and especially in the first half when you saw a lot of conservative offense, uh, having these sort of trick plays that can go for 20, 30 yards, that really brought some spark to the 49ers offense and was something they should have really kept going with. Uh, Debo Samuel was hot this game. He also finished with five catches for 39 yards. Not a lot receiving, but that's, what, 91 yards all-purpose? That's a pretty good game for a rookie. And had he kept going and the 49ers end up winning that game, I would see Debo Samuel actually being Super Bowl MVP. Um, he wasn't someone that Jimmy G could lean on towards the end of the game, which sucked to see because Debo has been great throughout the season. Uh, but that's something that you will have to watch him develop through the next couple seasons. If he can be that fourth quarter clutch factor, uh, they have George Kittle, and he can be someone to rely on, but you always like to have your options, especially in those clutch moments. And not seeing Debo Samuel there when he's been having this hot of a game, uh, it was a bit disappointing, and I'm not sure it was his fault or the game plan or just Jimmy G missing him. It would have been nice to see more of Debo Samuel towards the end of the game. But let's flip to the other side. 
Kansas City did not have a first round pick this year in this in the 2019 draft because they traded it away for Frank Clark. So their top draft pick was wide receiver Michael Hardman out of Georgia. And Michael Hardman has not had a fantastic season by any means, but he has had a fairly promising campaign that I think has a lot of Kansas City fans excited for that wide receiving core with him and Tyreek and Demarcus Robinson and whoever else they get in the offseason. But uh, Michael Hardman was a total non-factor in the Super Bowl. Uh, they tried to play him like Debo Samuel a little bit. They had him on a rushing play that only got negative six yards. Uh, obviously, that's just evident to how good that D-line was playing, that they could stop these trick plays with the wide receivers uh, running the ball. And he only had a catch for two yards. Uh, so he was non-existent in the Super Bowl. Uh, but he was their prime kick returner. He had three kick returns for 58 yards. And uh, as I was watching the Super Bowl, uh, the kick returning was atrocious. It was bad on both sides. Richie James was not very good for the 49ers. And Michael Harmon was a little bit better for the Chiefs. But still, when you're getting a kick return, you should not be downed at the 15 or the 14 or the 10-yard line. And that was happening with a lot of these guys if they weren't taking touchbacks. Um, so Michael Hardman, who was the top draft pick, a second rounder, was just not in this Super Bowl at all. Uh, but speaking of someone who is literally not in the Super Bowl at all is Juan Thornhill, the rookie safety from uh, Virginia. He plays for the Kansas City Chiefs, and he missed the entire playoffs with a torn ACL, which he suffered in Week 17, I believe, or maybe Week 16. Uh, but I I've mentioned this before. Uh, if you listen to the Into the Lab podcast, I've talked about Juan Thornhill. Uh, he's a great player. And watching him and Tyron Matthew communicate in that secondary and leading to all these great picks, uh, it was it was beautiful. And I think the Chiefs were really missing Juan Thornhill. Uh, not really in the Super Bowl, but definitely you could see it throughout the playoffs with these deep balls and guys getting open and this sort of little bit of a lack of communication, which actually was greatly improved in the Super Bowl, which is a, a, good, a great reason why that defense played so stellar. Uh, but missing Juan Thornhill was a huge blow that ended up not being too bad, but really I, I, that he was such a big part of that defense. Um, and he's going to be an anchor for many seasons to come. Uh, if they keep Tyron Matthew for a long time, they're going to really be a force to reckon with. Now, obviously, when you have a team that is so focused on veteran talent, not really getting rookies, um, Kansas City doesn't really have a lot to talk about on that end. And we've already mentioned the guy made an impact for the 49ers. So let's take a little bit of a retro perspective and let's look back at some great rookie Super Bowl performances of history. Um, I want to start with uh, one that I've personally watched. Uh, we're going to go back to Super Bowl 52. And we're going to talk about the Eagles running back, Corey Clement, who is a running back, but had four catches for 100 yards in that Super Bowl and had a huge 22-yard touchdown that really put the Eagles in the driver's seat for that game. Um, you know, you, you need these playmakers and you need to get them from anywhere, even if it's a running back catching the ball or like we were saying before, Debo Samuel running the ball. These are the playmakers you want to develop. You want to develop them to be these sort of out of position, um, can do it all, jack of all trades kind of guys. Um, even though you want them to also be great at what they're meant to do, which in Debo Samuel case is catching the ball, which he was good at. 
Uh, Corey Clement was not the starting running back, but he was a playmaker when they asked him to be, and that's what you need from your depth guys. Four catches for 100 yards, which means 25 yards per catch, that's amazing, especially when you have a 22-yard touchdown that pretty much put the Eagles in front of this game. Um, was amazing, and uh, that's one of the great rookie performances that a lot of people probably don't talk about because, you know, it's a third-string running back on the Eagles. Like, that's not typically where you get value from. Looking to another one, uh, one that actually is a product of my home country of Canada. Uh, we're going to talk about Chris Matthews, the wide receiver for the Seahawks in Super Bowl Forty-Nine. Matthews was not technically a rookie, but it was his first season in the NFL, which means it was his rookie season. Uh, even though the Seahawks went on to lose the Super Bowl, everyone knows the Malcolm Butler interception. Chris Matthews was really giving this off life and was a go-to guy for Russell Wilson. He had 109 yards and four catches as well as a touchdown. And I believe that if the Seahawks managed to clutch that game, then Chris Matthews, Chris Matthews might have won Super Bowl MVP. He had an amazing game, and you don't really see this come from an undrafted free agent in his first year in the NFL, especially a guy from the CFL who was a security guard at a Foot Locker like just a few months before this. So it's it's one of those great stories that you love to hear and you love to see him uh, having such a big performance and a big impact on a game, uh, even though it wasn't the result that they wanted. You can, you can only do as much as you can, and it wasn't his fault that the Seahawks lost, obviously, but I'm damn sure he's not very happy about it. Um, we're going to move on to one more, and uh, I think this is probably the all-time greatest rookie Super Bowl performance, and even a great story at best. Uh, we're going to go to the Redskins, and we're going to talk about Timmy Smith in Super Bowl XXII, uh, who was a running back for the Redskins at the time. And... Literally minutes before this game starts, the running back coach comes up to Timmy Smith and is just like, you're starting today. Right then and there. That's when Timmy Smith finds out he's starting that game two, maybe three minutes before the Super Bowl is starting. Um, he ended up having 204 rushing yards and two touchdowns on 9.3 yards per carry in his first career start. Super Bowl 22. That's a crazy stat line for someone in their first career start but also in the Super Bowl. And uh, I, I think when you look back at all these great rookie performances, even though this is, you know, 30 years ago almost, or even more, that this is something that a lot of rookies will look back on when they get to the Super Bowl. They want to be, they want to have a performance like that. And, you know, being a playoff playmaker like that, uh, just getting that depth is amazing. Um, even if your name is never heard again, Making these moments is what matters, and Timmy Smith will forever live on just for being one of the greatest performances in Super Bowl history, especially for a rookie, and especially this first career start. So we're going to take a little break here. We're going to listen to some advertisements, and then we're going to talk about the NFL's Offensive Rookie and Defensive Rookie of the Year awards. All right, moving on, we're going to talk about the awards heading down on Saturday night to the NFL's best rookies in the league. In case you don't know, our Offensive Rookie of the Year was quarterback Kyler Murray from the Cardinals, who was the first overall pick in the year. And the Defensive Rookie of the Year pick was edge rusher Nick Bosa from the 49ers, who was the second overall pick. Um, you know, when you 
hear about the first and second overall pick, the top guys in in the league, you don't normally see them actually come away with these awards. It's always someone else. It's always, you know, maybe a second rounder, Odell Beckham, or um, late round pick, and even like a late first rounder like Odell Beckham was, or someone who could contend in the second round like Brandon Cooks and Jarvis Landry and those kind of guys. Um, but getting a first overall pick, selecting your future quarterback, him having an amazing season and proving that he'll be the starting quarterback for years to come. Uh, he deserved Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, the runner-up I have listed was Josh Jacobs, the running back from the Raiders, and wide receiver A.J. Brown from the Titans. Uh, talking about Jacobs, Jacobs had an amazing season. Um, the Raiders really had no offense, if it weren't for Josh Jacobs and even to some extent Darren Waller. But that run game was really pushing the Raiders to these clutch third-down conversions and you know, getting into the end zone, just powering through. Josh Jacobs is a strong guy. He can he can carry a pile. He's not quite Marshawn Lynch, obviously, but when you can get that kind of power from running back, who also is fast. He's not the fastest running back by any means, but Josh Jacobs definitely has speed for a power guy. Uh, and he was one of my favorite guys coming out of the 2019 draft. And I'm very excited to see that he's going to be a, a, a mainstay there in Las Vegas. I think he's going to be a guy that you try to mark a lot. Uh, he missed out on Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, you can make the debate between Murray and Josh Jacobs. Uh, I personally did have Kyler Murray because this is a quarterback-driven league. And even if it's not my honest opinion, like I, I, I would say that Josh Jacobs had the better season from an offensive standpoint. But when you have a quarterback that's a rookie making 16 career starts in his very first season, um, getting that kind of production is amazing. And seeing that this guy is going to be your future, Kyler Murray is going to win this award no matter what, because he's the quarterback, he's the franchise and uh, quarterbacks are really like the way to go in the NFL and the years to come, we're not talking about strong run games. We're not talking about strong defense. We're talking about the quarterback. So Kyler Murray was going to win this, even if he had a like slightly worse season than Josh Jacobs, he would have won this award. Uh, I think they both had about equal seasons, maybe Josh Jacobs by a little bit, but uh, Kyler Murray won this. Uh, I also had AJ Brown. Uh, he really heat up in the second half of the season. Uh, he had a couple good games in the first half, but in that second half, he was, looking like the top receiver the Titans had needed for years. And I thought the Titans would go after DK Metcalf. They instead go after his Ole Miss teammate, who was going to probably be the first ra- first round pick at the start of the 2019 season, uh, or sorry, 2018 season, going to the 2019 draft. Uh, but he fell to the second round. The Titans pretty much got steal here. Uh, he looks so fast. He's got great hands, great route running. I'm really excited for AJ Brown. And uh, had he been that consistent all year long, that award would have been his guaranteed. Uh, he was actually my dark horse for Offensive Rookie of the Year. So having him in the runner-up category was pretty cool. Um, I didn't really, you know, that's unexpected. And I really believed in him. And seeing him have that kind of success was great. So we're going to move on to the Defensive Rookie of the Year award. Uh, who was won by the second overall pick, defensive end Nick Bosa, who was a phenomenal edge rusher for the 49ers. And 
he had great stats, uh, but he did not have more sacks than Josh Allen. He did not have more sacks than Brian Burns, I believe. Um, but he was a playmaker. He was a game wrecker. He was getting into the backfield. He was a force to be reckoned with. It's very hard for a rookie to make that much of an impact. It really is. If you if you think about the great rookies, these guys who were savages in, in college and they decapitated guys like Jadavian Clowney did at South Carolina, obviously not literally, but figuratively, um, and being able to make that much of an impact, the one that you had in college in your rookie year, when you have this much, have these high expectations and all this potential and getting that right away, being able to cash in on that right away is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to see. And Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa are some of the greatest defensive ends in the NFL. And in the coming years, I think we might regard them as the probably one of the best brother duos in the league. Uh, you can make the case for JJ and TJ, uh, the Watt brothers, but I think Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa have the edge over them as great edge rushers. Uh, but Nick Bosa won Defensive Rookie of the Year. I believe he deserved it. He was also my pick. Uh, some runners-up I had, Brian Burns and Josh Allen, both edge rushers. Josh Allen from the Jaguars, Brian Burns from the Panthers. Uh, Brian Burns had a very unexpected season. Um, he fell in the draft, in my opinion. I thought that he would be a top 15 pick. He ends up just falling outside the top 15. Uh, but he was really... He was the defensive rookie of the year in the first half. And then the Panthers uh, kind of cooled down themselves throughout the second half. So you can sort of chalk up Brian Burns' performance to that. They all kind of burned out. Their defensive line was so just hampered with injuries that they didn't really have to worry about anyone but Brian Burns. So they can double cover him. He's the guy that they're focused on. He's the main priority. And that will often lead to a, a production drop. So that's what we saw from Brian Burns. That's why he missed out on this award. Uh, I hate to blame the team, but really the Panthers just were not playing very good football in the second half of the season. And that led to a drop production across the board, except for Christian McCaffrey. But uh, Brian Burns suffered from that. Uh, Josh Allen, who led the rookies in sacks, uh, he was probably a more serious contender because he was good all season long. Uh, but he wasn't quite the game wrecker that Nick Bosa was because Josh Allen got the sacks, but he wasn't in the backfield 24-7. He was a quick pass rusher who, in a blink of an eye, can be in the backfield, but he wasn't doing it consistently. Like Nick Bosa, who can push your offensive lineman back to an inch away from the quarterback, Josh Allen's a finesse guy. He was getting around the edge rushers, and by then the ball might already be gone. Even if he's putting on good pressure, He's not wrecking the game. He's not wrecking the plays. Um, and that's that's why I believe Nick Bosa deserved it more. Um, but I think you can make a really strong case for Josh Allen. Uh, either way, all these edge rushers, holy shit. <laughs> like, I got to say, these guys are amazing. Uh, and we just got a bunch of sack masters coming in to the league this year. And I can't wait to watch these guys develop in their second year. So we're going to do another break and listen to a couple more advertisements, and then we're going to move on to our final topic. We're going to talk about the 2020 draft and some essentials and basic info you need to know going into the offseason. Welcome back to our final topic of the day. Uh, we're going to talk about some basic draft info you need to know about the offseason. Um, we're going to just start at the most discussed topic right now, and that's quarterbacks. Uh, we're going to start at the top of the draft. 
we know Joe Burrow is going to be a first overall pick. This isn't a secret. Even if the Bengals claim they're undecided, it's pretty much just, do we want to trade the first overall pick or do we want to take our franchise quarterback? Either way, I think the Bengals are going to come out winners unless they somehow screw themselves. Um, we know the Dolphins are interested in Joe Burrow. These two teams are the most QB needy in the league. Uh, in my opinion, I just don't think the Bengals should give up on Joe Burrow. That's a NFL-ready, top-tier quarterback coming into the league. And if you want to miss out on that to get a couple of draft picks, then I just think that that's stupid. Um, unless you can get a total steal from the Dolphins. like I mean, two first-round picks in a second round or something like that then yeah, go ahead because you're basically securing your franchise. You're securing your future with a bunch of top prospects. But anything less than that, you are selling yourself short because Joe Burrow is going to be the future. Uh, you can say Mahomes will. Uh, my personal opinion is from what I've seen from Joe Burrow, just this dude lights up the league. And hes I remember just watching him after the national championship just with the cigar in the locker room and that's so badass. Like, come on. You don't see, you didn't see Mahomes do that. I mean, yeah, no, Mahomes didn't get the opportunity to play in the college championship, but Jesus, that just looks so cool. And obviously that has nothing to do with skill, but if you go back and watch this entire season, and even last season when he was a starter at LSU, this guy can make clutch throws. He doesn't have an elite arm strength like a Mahomes or like a Josh Allen, but he's got the accuracy. He is a master at rooting the play at the line of scrimmage and and even calling audibles at uh, 24 in the college is amazing. Um, so I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals is an automatic connection. I don't think they should pass up on it. Now you go down the list. Let's talk about teams that also need quarterbacks desperately, but won't be getting Joe Burrow. Got the Dolphins, who we thought would finish with the first overall pick this year. They don't. They finish with the fifth overall pick. Uh, we connected them to Tua Tagovailoa way back, right? We thought that, oh, tank for Tua. The Dolphins are going to go 0-16, and they're going to take Tua to finish with the fifth overall pick and pretty much guaranteed still have Tua there. I think the Dolphins put themselves in a good position that made it look like they weren't tanking. They set themselves up for success, and they still get their franchise QB. Do not pass up on Tua Tagovailoa. Don't give up your first-round picks for Joe Burrow, no matter how badly you want him. It's not worth it. You have three first-round picks. Use them wisely. Get your franchise QB. Build around him in this draft, and you can be winners next season. So that's what I think the Dolphins should do at QB. You can move to the Chargers. Uh, Philip Rivers is gone. He's not going to be in uh, L.A. next season. And that leaves one really lockdown first-round pick quarterback from Oregon, who we thought could have been a top quarterback last year. And whether or not he made the right decision to stay uh, in college is up to you. I, I have my own thoughts about that, which we can discuss on another episode. But Burrow, or no, sorry, not Burrow, Justin Herbert is probably going to go to the Chargers. I would put it at a near lock just in case there's that movement at the top of the draft. You never know. Uh, but the Chargers desperately need a QB. I don't think they'll find one in free agency. Um, maybe Tannehill. You never know. Maybe someone like Mariota. Um, but I, I think that they'll go with the rookie. You know, playing with a veteran quarterback for this long and seeing that it wasn't the best move overall. 
I think the Chargers are ready to finally draft another QB and move forward with the future, especially with someone as good as Herbert at the helm. So let's talk about a couple other teams that aren't necessarily locks for needing a QB, but could definitely be peeking in on some top quarterback talent in this draft. Um, could look at the New Orleans Saints, who may or may not have Drew Brees. Uh, it's all a big secret. We don't know. Uh, they've said that Teddy Bridgewater is the future of this franchise. And yes, he went 5-0 and as a starter this season. And yes, he was great in that one season as a starter at Minnesota. I don't believe in Teddy Bridgewater as a true starting quarterback for multiple years to come. Teddy Bridgewater is a top-tier backup at best to me. Or a fringe starter that you need when Drew Brees gets out for six games. Right? So... I, I think that the Saints should definitely evaluate the QB talent in this draft class. Look at Jordan Love. Look at Jake Fromm. Look at Jacob Eason. These guys are second-round picks. You're probably going to – maybe not Jordan Love, but the other two. Look at Jalen Hurts. I, I thought that at the start of the season, Jalen Hurts would be a top-10 pick. But then the college season took a few turns. So did Jalen Hurts, and he didn't look the best in the Senior Bowl. But I still think that that kid has all the talent in the world. And the combine can always change everyone's opinion, especially if you, like, no matter what. Like, in those QB throwing drills, I don't think everyone understands that the QB throwing drills at the combine really cement a lot about quarterbacks. I think that's where Herbert will prove his worth. I think that if Hurts attends, that's where he'll prove his worth. Same with Jordan Love. Um, So these are guys that the Saints can evaluate. Um, it's not necessarily a need, it's more want, uh, but we can see, I could see the Saints going quarterback in the second round. Moving on to a couple other teams, we've got the Colts, the Buccaneers, and the Patriots, and all these guys are sort of iffy on the quarterback situation. The Patriots have Tom Brady, possibly. I mean, he might resign, he might not, even if he does, he's 43. He's going to be 43. When do you draft a quarterback? Right? You drafted him in what the fifth or sixth round last year. That's not your franchise guy, I hope. That's like that's like a risky pick. That's like a this could work out, this might not. So invest in a quarterback, especially in a draft class loaded with them. I could see the Patriots finally drafting a QB in the first round. I truly do. Uh, when they sit at, oh, shit, was it like the 26th pick or the 24th pick or some, something around there? Uh, I haven't really totally gone through it, but why not just take the risk? What more do you need? Your defense is great. Your O-line has a bunch of young guys on it, unless they don't re-sign Theony, in which case that could screw them. But uh, the only other thing you really need is a tight end. Oh, sorry, they said the 23rd pick. I remember that now. When you're sitting at 23, there's no first-round tight ends. And you're desperately in need of securing a good future. Why not take a gamble on Jordan Love if he's still there? I truly believe that that's what the Patriots will do. If they don't go tight end, which is their most pressing need. But like I said, there's no real first-round tight ends. Except for maybe Cole Komet, just because that's a reach pick. I see him as more of a late second, early third. But you, you never know. 
Um, then we also have the Colts, who are reportedly front runners for Philip Rivers. So they're probably not looking at a at a QB in the draft. So if you're a Colts fan, just think that they're going to go veteran quarterback. They're in that win now mind state. They were inches away from the playoffs. They are not trying to develop a future yet. They might let that next year, but maybe they even want to invest as Brissett or invest in Brissett as their future QB. You never know, but they definitely are looking at someone to get in that win now mind state. And that would be Philip Rivers, who I guarantee wants a ring more than anyone now that Andy Reid has one. <laughs> uh, last but not least, the Buccaneers, who have been starving at QB. Uh, or sometimes they're totally full because Jameis Winston is hot and cold, like a hot and cold pack that you'd use when you get a football injury. I don't know. That was a bad analogy. But uh, it's we don't know if he's coming back or not yet. Uh but if he doesn't, then the Buccaneers will desperately need a QB. They're probably not going to go for one in free agency because Philip Rivers looks like he's going to go to the Colts, and you never, you don't really see any other options there. So they're going to need to look at this draft. And in the first round, if you're drafting at 14, the top three QBs are going to be gone. So you might have to take a gamble. You might have to take a risk on a second-round guy in the first round because he won't be there when you're picking the second round. You might have to take that gamble on Jordan Love. I think that if Jameis Winston doesn't come back, that Jordan Love will be a Buccaneer in the 2019 draft. And those are just some QB essentials that we need to talk about going to the draft. We'll get more in-depth with actual guys and where they might go uh, when we sort of dive deeper into the offseason. Uh, but let's just move on to a couple more essentials. Um, tight ends and running backs. I briefly mentioned tight ends a little bit when we were talking about the Patriots. Uh, but will we see a tight end or running back go in the first round? Um, first round tight ends have been very hit or miss recently. You think about Hayden Hurst, who was the Ravens' first round pick t- uh, two years ago. Uh, he didn't really work out. You think about uh, David Njoku, who's been good, but not great. Evan Ingram, who's been a life force on the uh, Giants offense. He pretty much keeps them alive on a daily basis when Saquon isn't there. Um, OJ Howard, who, once again, hot and cold, kind of like Jameis Winston. His success actually really depends on how good Jameis Winston's playing. Um, uh, But other than that, uh, first-round tight ends haven't totally been amazing. But do you really expect that much of a tight end? Uh, the only team that really needs tight ends is the Patriots. And especially if you're thinking first round and you're thinking maybe Cole Komet or Bryson Hopkins, um, those are the guys that could go in the first round, but they're only going to go to the Patriots. So I don't see anything more than one tight end going in the first round. Running backs, however, different story. None of these running backs, I believe, are top 20 draft picks. Not necessarily... They aren't first-rounders. I just don't think that they're top-tier talent. And we saw that last year with Josh Jacobs, who, you know, probably we all thought Josh Jacobs would declare this year. He de- he declared early, and that was a good pick. He ended up with the Raiders, had a phenomenal season, almost one offensive rookie of the year. But there was only one running back, and as we just talked about and briefly mentioned earlier, how this is going to be a – QB league. 
and it's going to be QB driven. Do you invest in a running back in the first round? I think that's a question that we'll see Miami answer uh, this year when they go, if they go to a or Burrow or whoever in the first round, will they build around him with a run game, with a strong run game with DeAndre Swift, with Jonathan Taylor, who are first round guys, late first round picks, or will they go wide receiver or O-line or even try and build up the defense? I don't think that there will be a any more than one running back going in the first round again this year. The Chiefs, I think, are going to keep going with Damian Williams, and they're really the only other team I could see taking a running back in the first round because they have the, a low enough pick. But seeing Damian Williams in the Super Bowl changed my mind. I think they'll give another go and maybe get one in the late rounds. But Miami, Miami doesn't have a running back. Kalen Balazs is not a starting running back. So DeAndre Swift to the Dolphins at 18 is a real possibility. My or even in 26 or whatever, he could be a first round pick to the Dolphins or even Jonathan Taylor, one or the other. It just depends on do these teams build around the QB that way. And I think that's something that we're going to see change as the season goes along. Um, or sorry, as these seasons go along. And uh, just running backs, I don't think, are as valuable as they used to be in the draft. Um, even just a couple of years ago, when you talk about Saquon and Fournette and Zeke, all of a sudden this drop-off happens, and now there's not a lot of top-two running backs. Uh, I, I'm, I, don't, I miss it. I, I miss getting hyped up about a good running back, but it's a QB-driven league now. And uh, I think that Miami will not go running back in the first round. And if they do, it will be DeAndre Swift, almost guaranteed. A couple other notes I want to talk about. Um, we got the Lions, who had a very, very disappointing season. And uh, they really need defense. They really need front seven help. They tried to invest in some D linemen like Trey Flowers, who's had a pretty good season. And Mike Daniels, who had not such a great season. Um He's a little bit older now. Uh, Ajon Robinson hasn't quite worked out. Devon Harrison's getting old. I don't know what's going on with that linebacking core. Uh, they need a front seven help badly, and they hold the third overall pick in this draft. What do you do there? Do you trade back and maybe secure uh, a couple other first-rounders or a later first-rounder and an extra second-rounder so that way you can get these top-tier defensive players, or do you invest in one good defensive player? Because I guarantee they're going defense. They're not going to go any sort of offense at number three. They could jump over the Redskins, even, and try to get Chase Young. There's a lot of options for the Lions here. Um, but I think if they just stay at three, Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker from Clemson. The Lions have invested so many first-round picks and second-round picks into linebackers recently. Uh, you think of Gerard Davis, Jelani Tavai. Uh, these guys haven't panned out. And maybe you want to give Jelani Tavai another year to develop and see if he can become a, a better starter and a true leader, unlike this year. Or do you want to just get the solidified NFL-ready talent in Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker from Clemson? Um, I think that's what the Lions should do. But they also need secondary help, uh, even though they have Justin Coleman, 
who has been playing way better than anyone even is thinking about right now. And obviously Darius Slay, who has to be the most underrated top-tier corner in the league. Uh, and needs to stop being slept on. Jeffrey Okuda from Ohio State, the cornerback. You could pair those guys up. And now think about how much of how amazing of a lockdown secondary you have. But they truly need front seven house. So I think they'll go Isaiah Simmons. Or they'll try to leapfrog Washington and get Chase Young, which I, I don't see happening, but it's a risky play they can make. Anyways, that's all I really want to talk about, and I want to thank everyone who took the time out of their day to listen to the first ever episode of the Institute of Drafting, and I truly look forward to growing this podcast and this brand in the coming future with you guys, and I'm very excited for the next few weeks coming up. Uh, just to let you know, in some future episodes, uh, we'll probably cover some risers and fallers in the draft since the end of the collegiate season. Uh, we'll cover the combine once that happens. We'll have a couple of mocks here and there, and I definitely plan on getting some awesome guests for this show. And uh, if you have any feedback or questions, my Twitter DMs are open, and you can reach me there, at the Phantom Jazzy. Other than that, I want to wish everyone a good night, and I'll see you guys next week.